Traditional long-term rentals versus short-term Airbnb vacation rentals. Which one should you invest in and why? In today's episode, that's what we're talking about, the pros and cons of each. Hey guys, welcome to the Cashflow Happy Hour podcast. My name is Josh Baldovino and I am your host. And today we are breaking down whether you should invest in a long-term or short-term rentals. Both Vinci and I, each have separate long-term and short-term rentals. And we're going to compare the two, figure out what asset class we'd like to invest in, how the returns differ. Uh, real quick, just some background on Vinci. Vinci has been tremendous in helping us set up our first Airbnb in the Joshua Tree area. He actually has four properties, two that are traditional rentals in the Chicago area, and then two short-term Airbnb, VRBO, vacation rentals, and arguably the hottest markets in the nation, the Smoky Mountains, Tennessee, and as well as Joshua Tree, California. And so we're comparing both your traditional and your short-term in this one. Hey, but real quick, before we jump into the show, if you, whether you're watching this on YouTube or on podcast, thank you so much. Ask you and do me a favor. If you find any value in this, can you please hit the like button? And if you want more episodes like this, don't forget to subscribe, add this to your library and share this with a friend that you would think would find this valuable. Now onto our show with Vinci. Um, so Vinci, thank you so much for uh, coming on to uh, our Zoom call here and the show. And can you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, my name is uh, Vinci Sevilla. I've been in real estate investing, uh, started in 2015. I kind of want to go like way back. First of all, I, I was born in the PI Philippines, um, but I grew up out here in SoCal. Um, I owe a lot, again, to of who I am, to my origins and upbringing. Uh, my family and I, we came out here uh, when I was quite young um, and being immigrants in the U.S., my family had to hustle, all right? Um, so for the majority of my life, uh, my family and I lived in a very poor and uh, low socioeconomic um, class and neighborhood. I'm talking about like packing six people in a one-bedroom apartment and um, you've got liquor stores and bail bond shops like on every block. But I, I talk about that because no matter what our environment was like, though, my parents try to keep us like um, on the straight and narrow. And so, you know, we we had a little apartment and we didn't have AC. Um, my parents would take my siblings and I over to the library. It had my name on it. It was like mm -hmm. shiny, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I got to use that to like check in and check out like books. Um, but that was kind of like the start of it, like because I fell in love with reading. Yeah. And, uh, and learning. And I thank God that I took to reading a lot because that's honestly how I began to learn all this stuff okay. uh, in real estate, um, personal finance and like, you know, all this good stuff. So more of the lesson is air conditioning is important. Um, and, and the reason why I say all this, again, it's, it's important because like I got my work ethic from my parents. Yeah. Um, I got my grit and toughness, right, from living in that area. I learned mm -hmm. the value of hard work. And what I want the audience here to take from all this is that no matter where you were born, what color skin you have, your upbringing, um, your inadequacies, you know, that you see in yourself, mm -hmm. the roadblocks that you know you need to overcome, like you've got a choice. And the choice you make is all that matters. 
Yeah. Because that choice can forever change your life. Yeah. So you grew up born in the Philippines, uh, not the best financial education as a kid, right? And when did this idea of one that you can actually buy a house, right? If your parents did live in an apartment, like how did that click? And what was that first home purchase for you? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this was uh, this was post college uh, when I first bought my property. This is back in 2015. I was 23 years old. I um, I actually stumbled upon real estate investing. Um, I had really no intention of like being a real estate investor. All I all I knew was basic math, right? Um, I was moving to a new job and re relocating. Uh, again, I didn't know anything about real estate. And so knowing based on math, math I knew that if I live in a house mm -hmm. and I rented out the rooms, that would help pay for my mortgage, mm -hmm. right? We have this little, uh, you know, popular terminology today, right? Called house hacking, right? Um, but before I didn't know what that was, right? In 2015, I didn't know anything about bigger pockets, house hacking, like what is that? Um, all I knew was that if I live in a property, um, live in one bedroom, rent out the others, um, they could help pay for my rent. And so um, that's essentially what I did. I think house hacking is a powerful strategy, especially for new and young investors mm -hmm. um, getting into the space. Um, but anyway, I, I can talk about that more later on like my page. I plan to like provide more information about, about like house hacking and what I did. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, did I answer your question? So you house hacked the first one. Yeah. What year was that again? This is 2015. Okay, mm -hmm. so 2015, you got a house hack, uh, and then you rented that out to your mm -hmm. friends, right? Or to, to students. college students. To college students, actually. And yeah. So um, you were you already fun. finished your undergrad, and yep. you weren't married. Were you married yet already? Not yet. Not yet. This was again. I was 23. Um, okay. not married yet. And uh, my wife now, uh, she was my girlfriend at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so 2015, you bought your house hack. Uh, you realized, and how did you feel, like, how did you figure out that, hey, I could buy a house, I could live in it, and then rent it to college students and subsidize either your rent payment or completely wipe yeah. out your mortgage? Like, how did that click? Did someone tell you? No. Um, no one really told me about that. I mean... I, you know, um, I started working as soon as I graduated college at 21, mm -hmm. right? At, at, uh, this is 2013. Um, and then during that, those two years between 2013 and 2015, when I bought my first property, yeah, I really just, you know, was working day in, day out on my W2, mm -hmm. right? And then um, I think what really opened my eyes was reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I know for a lot of investors, that kind of like what, what got them into that mindset. And I feel like more so than this is not just a real estate book. It's a mindset book, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, really, you know, opened my eyes to, you know, the difference between an asset and a liability, right? A lot of people think that homes are liabilities. However, you can easily turn them into assets yeah. if you properly educate yourself and actually apply some of the strategies that, you know, we talk about here. So 2015, yeah. Red Rich Dad, Poor Dad, house hacked. When did, like house hacking is one thing. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. figuring out, hey, I can 
live by myself, right? And for those who are just tuning in, uh, I'm chatting with Vinci and we are talking about uh, our journey into real estate investing and specifically now transitioning into long-term rentals versus short-term rentals. So we're about to get into the part where he's going to get into, uh, I'm going to ask him about how he got into long-term rentals. And you are, you were living still in Riverside? Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And then, so did you start investing? Like, where was your first, was your first investment property in Chicago area? Yeah. So uh, my, my next, so I got that house hack in 2015. Okay. Um, and then in 2017 was when I found out about Bigger Pockets. Mm-hmm. And I began just diving into the world of real estate investing. Um, gotcha. But during that time, again, house hacking, again, I think it's an amazing, powerful strategy for those just who want to start out. I learned during that two-year period, I learned how to, you know, be a landlord. I learned how to um, fix up a lot of the different things around the home. I learned how to um, do bookkeeping, do my taxes, um, and, and all the tax advantages of owning real estate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, connecting with other people, you know, who uh, during that time who um, were also in real estate investing. And so when I found out about uh, Bigger Pockets 2017, I was, I was excited. Man, I was jumping for joy because, you know, this was something that um, has been kind of accumulating in the back of my head. Again, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the start of that mindset. Mm-hmm. So learning about like the FIRE community, mm-hmm. financial independence, financial freedom, it kickstarted something in me. Um, and I realized that, you know, that famous quote by Warren Buffett, you know, he's saying that like, if you don't make money while you're asleep, you're going to be working until you die. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to do that. And um, again, I, I brought up like my origins, you know, um, born in the Philippines, coming out here, trying to figure out the world with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that money could be utilized as a tool in yep. order to um, help our families and help, help get where we need to be uh, and give us the option to, to work. Uh, because your W-2, my W-2, man, like they can replace us in a snap, mm-hmm. right? And um, we realized that, um, you know, we don't want to have that type of power over us. So and then so, that's when you said, so okay, I got to get into rental said, properties. Exactly. And that's when I said, I, I got to get into rental properties and but decided why sh- to, yeah, go ahead. I was say, so why Chicago? Chicago though? Like that's <laughs> like you had yeah. Riverside to the Chicago, like how did that connection happen? Honestly, you know, Bigger Pockets has amazing uh, resources and tools out there. Um, I began connecting with people who were investing out of state. Okay. I looked at multiple markets at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's that, that rule, that 1% or 2% rule, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so... Let me pause you there. For those who, who don't, don't know, know, the 1% rule yeah, is uh, you just divide your purchase price by how much rent you're going to get. So say, for example, the house is $100,000. Ideally, you want the rent to be at least $1,000-ish. It's very different now. And also, depending on, you know, your market and, and taxes and, you know, other things like that. But that's, you know... a 10 second test that you can do. Okay. So 1% rule of Chicago, keep going. 1% rule of Chicago. And I have found properties out there that were closer to 1%, one and a half, even 2%. Wow. Um, so let me do a quick breakdown of my first long-term rental. Um, yep. Again, I networked and found properties out there and found the people out there uh, all through networking mm-hmm. online, uh, finding people who are already doing that in Chicago area. And, and, and a lot of people say, you know, why Chicago? I, I did visit Chicago like the year prior okay. for um, a work-related thing. 
And man, I fell in love with it. Like I, I, I love that city. I went out there a second time and I just, I love the, I love, I love the area. I love the architecture. I love like, there's a lot of tech companies out there. Again, Chicago is like the third biggest city in the nation. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, they have huge headquarters over there for tech companies as well. Um, and it's an amazing city overall. Um, there's also cons to it, right? Yeah. So they have like ridiculous property taxes. Okay. Okay. Um, like Texas murder. murder. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is also murder capital of the nation. So That's you know, also significant. <laughs> also significant so looking for properties out there it was very block by block okay. you got to be very careful about that and you got to make sure that the people you um you utilize out there your team your core four right mm -hmm. uh, david green green uh hint right there um building your boots on the ground is important um so those first house then chicago really good numbers you've connecting with investors in real estate or on bigger pockets You've now decided, okay, hey, I like Chicago. What'd you buy it for? What'd you rent for? How much rehab did it need? Yeah, so um, I pulled up some numbers here because I don't remember everything. So let me, yeah. let me just move it to the side. And so while here. Vinci okay, pulls so, that up, your mm -hmm. current portfolio, right, is you have two long-term rentals in Chicago and then you have two short-term rentals, uh, one in Joshua Tree and one in the Smokies. Um, so I say, I mean, this is so fun because I feel like Joshua Tree and the Smokies are the hottest short-term rentals, but long-term rentals is like, I mean, people buy short-term rentals to get more long-term rentals. So it's an interesting mm -hmm. dynamic here. And I'm so happy that mm -hmm. we can talk about this today. So, okay. Numbers. Absolutely. No. Yeah. Okay. So numbers, uh, our first, my, so my first out-of-state long-term rental uh, uh -huh. in Chicago proper, yep. uh, bought it for a hundred grand. It was okay. a three bed, one bath. It okay. was somewhat turnkey. Um, we just needed to do some cosmetic stuff, okay. which like was like around 500 bucks, to be honest, just painting stuff <laughs> and a few other things. <laughs> That's like extra closing fees, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, so so $100,000 in, uh, rental income was 1300 Okay. Um, so, so that's like a 1.3% 1 rule. 1.3% rule. Yeah. Um, and then our PITI and the total expenses on this was 800 bucks or is $800. This includes uh, yeah, PITI, total expenses, CapEx reserves. So 1300 minus 800, mm -hmm. cash flow per month is 500 bucks. Okay, so hold on, let's pause there for a second. I got a question mm -hmm. on Instagram and for those on, on Instagram, if you wanna join us in on Zoom and you wanna pop into the video eventually on the Q&A at the end, the link's in the bio. Um, but how many times did you go to Chicago before you bought this $100,000 house? Uh, let's see here. Actually, I've been out there um, once before I bought the property. So and did you... The second time I was out there was after I closed. Did you buy... Did you buy... Did you go out there to walk the property before you bought it or did you buy it? No, I bought it sight unseen. Okay. Yeah. But honestly, you know... So a lot of people, especially I, got, I had some family and friends who were like, Chicago, are you crazy? You know, why are you buying a property out of state? Yeah. That's so scary. There's mm -hmm. that fear mongering, right? Like mm -hmm. um, behind those, uh, those statements. Yeah. And the one thing that um, I believe that helps overcome that is, again, technology. And I want to talk about that too when we talk about short-term rentals. Okay. But technology helps bridge that gap, right? Because people say, hey, 
you can't, I can't see my property. If I don't see it, if I can't touch the brick walls and stuff, then um, I'm not going to buy it. But you know what? I walked that property so many times virtually with my agent, <laughs> with my inspector, with, yeah. um, you know, so many different uh, vendors and people and contractors that I, uh, that I used. And I, I walked that property virtually so many times. Like I knew the ins and outs of it. I knew what the neighborhood looked like. Um, we have, you know, Google view, street view, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, you can FaceTime with somebody out there live um, and, and, and actually walk the property. And so I was able to do that way before I even actually physically visited it. Okay. No, I mean, I, I completely agree with you for me. You know, we invest in Columbus, Ohio, and technology has been like we can walk so many more properties just because mm-hmm. there's no travel time for us as an out of state investor, right? Working with an agent, boots on the ground, whoever it is, they can send you a video, they can walk with you. You can essentially walk as many properties as you want and review the videos post. Like you can have five people at five different properties at the same time. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you said that because it is possible. And for me, I don't know about you, I know nothing about construction. So even if I went to a property, like I wouldn't know really what needs to get done and I'll pay a GC to go walk that instead and let me know how, like what actually, you know, an inspector and a GC to do that. So your first deal, $100,000, rented for 1300, pretty much turnkey. Yeah, that cash flow. I mean, depending on how conservative you are with your maintenance, your capex, and are you self-managing that property, or do you have a manager there? I have a, a property management company there. Mm-hmm. Okay, how much do you pay your manager out there? Oh man, um, I think about. I think it was about. Uh, let's see here, a hundred bucks. Okay. I think it was like like eighty or ninety dollars to eighty okay. to hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean. That's like 7%, 8% of rent or something like that. Maybe a little bit ish. Mm -hmm. Um, How much time do you spend now on that property a week, a month? If you just had to ballpark. Pretty much nothing. You know, um, I get a statement every month, right? My property management sends it over to me and shows me like, you know, uh, what they're sending me over and um, any expenses, if any, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That the property incurs for that month. Mm -hmm. And that's about it completely passive and hands off after that point. So you've had this since 2017 2017. and aside from minimal, I'm sure, you know, back and forth, the property manager, you almost consider it nothing. You parked your money and you get some extra cash flow. Um, Exactly. Have there been any advantageous tax benefits that you got from this at all? Um, yeah, you know, there's, uh, you know, my CPA would better, uh, answer this for me, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, um, and that's also an important thing about real estate investing. You know, I realized that, you know, before I, I was doing my taxes for a couple of years, even, you know, when yeah. I was half hacking here, doing, doing taxes with just one property, um, easy, right. Mm-hmm. And your W2, but with something like this out of state, um, I had to, I brought in someone who was well-versed in real estate um, taxes and, um, and investing. And so I trusted them to be the subject matter expert for me yeah. and figure out how to save taxes, um, taxes for me. Um, and so there's a lot of different strategies you can do um, on it. I think there's a book out there. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have them both actually and read them both. Um, 
I forget the name of it, but it's something it's tax strategy savvy. This there one probably. Yep. <laughs> By Amanda Hahn. Yeah, that's that's she's my CPA. On Instagram. Oh, she's your CPA. Yeah. They I think actually told me she's this my before. CPA. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean for those it's a, she makes tax pretty fun to read. So that is exactly one of my favorite ones. Um okay, so 2017 first rental, 20 when did you buy your second rental? So this is 2017, like around, um, I think around August, mm-hmm. July or August of 2017. I bought my second one out there three months later <laughs> in December of 2017, closed the first week of January 2018 in Chicago as well. Okay. So within three months, you had two rentals, cash flowing. Mm-hmm. I, I would assume is the cash flow about the same? Did you buy a similar about the property? Same, exactly. Did you fund mm-hmm. that? Yep with the traditional 20% down that I'm assuming. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now I'm piecing together a timeline. And for those who are trying to piece it together too, he bought his house hack in Riverside in 2015, bought his first couple investment properties in Chicago, sight unseen in 2017. But then three years later, right? Mm -hmm. You bought, you jumped into the short-term rental market. What happened in that three-year gap, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 2018, um, let's see here. My wife had, we just got married in 2018, actually. Okay. My wife graduated from grad school. Okay. And you know, we had this huge um, student loan debt mm-hmm. to pay off, right? And you know, um, my wife and I are married. You know, her debt is my debt. You know, my money is her money, her money is my mm-hmm. money, and vice versa. You know, we, yep. we joined um, our finances. And so in 2018, when we got married, um, we had this, this uh, student loan debt. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been leveraging debt at this point in time, right? Um, I, I am a big fan of Dave Ramsey because mm-hmm. um, I believe that if, if you want to learn how to get rid of, like, some of the, I'd say, quote-unquote, bad debt yeah. um, in your life, then follow some of the steps that Dave Ramsey um, follows or provides. Um, but uh, again, the rich dad, poor dad way of thinking is leveraging debt uh, in order for you to build wealth. Yeah. And so I kind of take bits and pieces of everyone um, and kind of like, you know, form our own opinions about some of this and utilize those things for our own real estate investing strategies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, you were tackling so, yeah, debt for um, those three years. So we were tackling debt for 2018, uh, the beginning of 2019, really, okay. actually. So the beginning of 2019, um, because she graduated like around June, July, 2018. Mm-hmm. So as you guys know, student loans, you've got to start paying it six months after, right? Mm-hmm. So we refinanced and consolidated all that student loan debt. Uh, we had six figures of student loan debt. It was about 140 grand um and okay. student loan all combined right uh for us and so uh we began paying it off in january 2019 mm-hmm. and in 14 months we paid it off um so we went ham yeah we went hard on it and in 14 months we paid off 140 something or so uh thousand dollars of student Dude, that's loan debt. that's amazing like that's crazy one so kudos mm-hmm. good job I know my Thank wife you. and I, we also have a significant amount of student loan debt. I think when we got married, um, we had a combined student loan debt. I think it was like 86 or 90, something like that. 
Um, but I immediately refinanced it into like a 2% loan. So to be honest, Mm -hmm. I've now been just paying the minimums because at like 2% Mm -hmm. interest and and these are on grad loans too. Um, Mm -hmm. it was like at a 6.7, right? Cause that's all you can get for grad loans. And you got to either pay it off super fast, like Vinci (laughs) or you refi it to a cheaper. And for me, and I went back and forth a lot of times, like, do I pay it off faster or do I just dump everything into investments? Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as I had enough cushion as, you know, in the bank to write out any, you know, employment changes or things like that, or hiccups in the market. Um, so it's an interesting strategy. You guys went that way. All right. So that yeah. happened. I mean, what, one of the things I want to interject real quick is like, yeah. you know, paying out the student loans, because we were on that same fence. We we're trying to figure out like, Hey, um, should we pay it off all now as soon as, as soon as we can, or mm-hmm. just pay the, the minimum monthly on here? Um, yeah. But we knew that we wanted to get back into the real estate um, investing. And we knew that having student loans on our names mm-hmm. um, was going to like, you know, kill our DTI. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and on top of that, you know, when it comes to student loan debts, if someone, if we were to go bankrupt, your student loan debt isn't going away. Mm-hmm. I think everything else, but student loan debt, goes away um so we weren't waiting for no we weren't waiting for the government to help us pay it off we weren't waiting for anyone to kind of like you know um throw us a a silver spoon or anything like that um we we decided to take matters into our own hands and decide hey we we can control this and we can actually do this ourselves and we decided to go ahead and and pour everything on it so we went we, we did like garage flips we were doing overtime we were um Man, I was I, I created a whole tutoring business on the side, and that's how we were able to pay it off. Yeah. So, I have now, and I need to draw this for myself. I want to figure out like what other pat you know streams of income you have, but I know that I want to get to the short term rental part first. Um, yeah. So you have two properties in Chicago, got married, paid off, on a on a great job paying off your student loans. You uh-huh. now why why short term rentals first off. Like, why did you pivot? Um, okay, so every year, uh, this may be a little long, but every year, um, the beginning of the year, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, my wife and I would take a trip or we would have a date. Okay. And um, on this trip or date, we would talk about our goals, the okay. goals we made last year and the goals that we plan to accomplish this year. Okay. Um, and we also plan like short-term and long-term goals, right? So one of our long-term goals was, um, like a three-year out milestone, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to uh, reach a cash flow amount per month that would replace okay. our current W-2 income and allow one of us to, or one of us, the option to retire. Yeah. So when I say the option to retire, um, I don't mean like lounging around, you know, on the couch all day, doing nothing, watching The Voice, all right, or whatever. Um, by the way, Team Blake, so when I say, uh, you know, the option to retire, I mean like the option to work, right? Yeah. I believe that that itself is one of the most powerful things. Mm-hmm. And to us, that equates to financial freedom. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, um, I was going to say, Jess and I, when I interviewed him right on his last day of work, I don't know if you, if you managed to see that, but I, I, I remember that. Tried to claim that, you know, coin the tor- term because Brandon Turner always does this, right? I got to claim it before him of work optional. So when you said that, I was like, see, it's a real thing. I know it. It's a real thing. <laughs> okay. So you wanted mm-hmm. to be work optional. Yeah. Go ahead. 
So, so we wanted to do, be work optional. Um, and so we looked at our current long-term portfolio, right? We have our house hack. Uh, mm-hmm. We have our two long-term rentals in Chicago. And, that, and we found that if we wanted to reach this monthly cash flow milestone, yeah. we needed 100 units. 100. Okay. Um, so I'm going to need to make a heck of a lot more deals. <laughs> right in order to reach that uh that 100 units it can be like multi-units apartment buildings single family homes whatever right mm-hmm. um and then i found out about the cash flow for short-term rentals and that whole market and i was like wait a minute if this is true like i can cut this down uh, the amount of doors from 100 to like 50 maybe yep. even 20 right um and so fast forward to 2021 uh, okay. We began looking for, you know, our short-term rentals in, in um, two mar- popular markets. Um, and we listed our first Airbnb uh, this, this June, this past June, like a few months ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, June 2021. And we hit that long-term cash flow milestone that we wanted to hit that first month. That first month. And we couldn't believe it. We didn't think like it was possible, right? We're like, wait a minute, this, 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 uh, this doesn't, this can't be true. And then we went on to the second month, and we we did even better that second month. Um, so, God. so yeah, that, that's why we do short term rentals. <laughs> I mean, okay. So for those who are trying to piece this together too, right, and trying to think about what is so, for example our number, you know, is $20,000 a month, um, which in, in rental income, which sounds like a lot, but living in the Bay area where your mortgage payment now on a $1.3 million house that I do not own at all, uh, would potentially be $6,000, um, plus other things. And just, I do want to have a good amount of money, right? If you cash flow $200 per door, that's, that's your hundred doors, right? Um, but you were able to significantly escalate how much rental income you had just based off of your two short-term rentals, right? That's right. Uh, I mean, that first month we only had that one short-term rental and that month we already, we already exceeded the numbers. And that was the Smokies? um, That was the Smokies. And then in July, that's when we listed uh, the Joshua tree, Desert Gold Playhouse. Yeah. And that one plus the Smokies in July, man, that 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 doubled our um our goal, right? Our monthly milestone goal, and um that's when we began to to look at we looked at each other and we're like, hey, we gotta we gotta think bigger, right? We gotta we we set the school here, and guess what? We were able to accomplish it within a few months of setting that goal. So yeah. we need to think bigger, think better, and and move on from there. Okay, so first month hit the goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you picked the two hottest markets, I would say in the entire country for short-term rentals, the Smoky mm-hmm. Mountains in Tennessee, which I'm sure everyone's looking at. And the second thing after that is Joshua Tree, California. I don't know if there's two hotter markets right now that people are looking into. Why those two markets? Uh, let's see here. So <clears throat> I- the reason why we picked those two markets was um, 
first of all, you know, we wanted to make sure that uh, the primary economic driver behind the markets that we choose are vacation and tourism, right? There's a, um, a lot of um, hesitation um, regarding short-term rentals because of short-term rental ordinances, uh, mm -hmm. regulations in the cities or um, in the counties that they're in. And so um, the two markets that we're in, the Smoky Mountains and Joshua Tree area, even before Airbnb and VRBO, these places were hot vacation markets that people would flock to. Again, before Airbnb and VRBO. Yeah. And so today, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the economic driver behind those two areas are vacation and tourism. And it's going to stay that way. So we don't really have too much to worry about in terms of those ordinances, because that could be a huge killer for, um, for that business model. Right. And th that's yeah. one of the things um, that I, I wanted to also bring up today was that's one of the biggest differences between short-term rentals and long-term rentals. My short-term rental is I'm not underwriting it um, as a long-term rental. I'm mm -hmm. underwriting it as a short-term rental, you know, as a hotel-like business. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So you, you underwrite it as a hotel and it's a completely different, and let's, and let's slice and dice this now. Cause this is like the core that like, I really wanted to dive in with you. Cause for me, you know, we have six long-term rentals in Columbus, Ohio, and we're working on mm -hmm. launching that first one in Joshua tree. And God, for me, just the work capacity needed to launch and operate a, yes. actually, let's not even go there. Let's not go there first. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> how, about, how about before we go into work, let's go into money. Just because that's, I feel like talking about the money part, no one really talks about the money part um, unless you're in these circles, right? So you put, you funded 20% down conventional for your investment property. I did that for my first one as well for my long term. Um, that's 20% down uh, on a $120,000 purchase. Um, I burned the next couple, which then makes it different, uh, but you can also burn STR. Uh, but other than that, right, depending on the area that you're investing in, you, the core, you know, on a long-term rental is to make it safe, right? Safe. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously you want to be in, in a decent neighborhood, um, but in terms of like finishes, it just needs to be clean and safe. It's like the two main priorities. When you're now buying a hotel, which is what you're doing on a short-term rental. Pretty much it like exponentially gets more complicated. So did you open the smoky one first or the, the, the smoky? Okay. So how smoky much, how did you fund that? How much you put in? Like, what did the, what did your cash in look like? So uh, the Smokies, um, we bought it at 410. Okay. It was a three bedroom, three bath. Okay. 10% down. We use a vacation loan, mm -hmm. which is one of the, most awesome things that you can do with short-term rentals, right? Mm -hmm. We utilize a vacation uh, loan on this, 10% down. Mm -hmm. So 10% of 410 is 41, mm -hmm. right? Closing costs in it. Let's just say all in, we're looking at 50 grand. That includes um, us buying um, a couple things for the property, but mm -hmm. it, was, it was pretty much turnkey because it also comes fully furnished. You know, um, it's all, all we need to do really was like um, add a couple of decorating stuff, fix a few things, yeah. um, stain the cabin. Um, but it already had a huge game room. 
It had a hockey, uh, uh, air hockey table, foosball. Um, it had a pool table. It's got all the beddings. Uh, it's got all the beds, furn uh, a few couches and, and other furniture. I mean, and the appliances as well. I mean, this was this was turnkey. So, so you bought in a the turnkey mountains area when you buy a property out there. Uh -huh. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. So you bought everything, house, furniture, what was in the house exactly. for 40, 410. Um, okay, but you were going to say when you buy a house in the Smokies, is that, is, is, is that usual? When you buy, yeah, when you, when you buy a cabin in the Smokies, that's actually pretty typical. Okay. Out there. Um, a, a majority of them will come furnished as is because a lot of them have been utilized as short-term rentals. Um, mm -hmm. in the past um and so they do come furnished uh the majority of them do so that's that's one of the things that we when we step into that market like hey that's great that's a huge load off of our shoulders right but that was a smoky mountains right now pivoting to joshua tree yes totally different ball game yes right? it is <laughs> as you are learning today um and so you know joshua tree we had to furnish it ourselves and we did um, quite a bit of rehab as well, especially in our backyard. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that, that takes a lot of time. Time consuming, working with the vendors, trying to get it all nice and ready. Um, and then putting, you know, your own twist to it, your, your own theme to it. You know, out there in the mountains, those cabins, I mean, everything's the same. You see bears everywhere. You can make it a little bit more like modern, maybe rustic. Um, if you have an A-frame, you can make it look like really nice and everything. But um, typically it's a cabin in the mountains. So you still want that cabin vibe, right? Mm -hmm. um, in Joshua Tree though, I mean, like, I mean, the world out there is your oyster. I mean, you can like come up with any type of artistic feature, you know, yeah. in, um, in Joshua Tree and people would, would book it as long as it looks, looks dope. <laughs> okay, so for the Smoky Mountain cabin, yeah closing costs plus furniture plus everything you were all in for 50k let's just say right rounding mm -hmm. up in joshua tree you were you bought it for 325 i think you remember or three uh we bought it for 355 and 355. we also did a 10 vacation okay. loan on that okay mm -hmm. so you're in say 40 including closing cost ish yep how much did you spend now those ones what i've learned now is you you buy i mean you can buy an active airbnb which i've seen which people charge an extreme markup for um yeah mm -hmm. but how much did you spend on furniture and how much did you spend on rehab this is joshua tree mm -hmm. okay so joshua tree is a three bedroom two bath uh again we completely furnish it ourselves um we put up like you know artistic murals uh, there as well, we, we hired local Joshua Tree artists. Yep. Um, we hired an amazing uh, designer as well. Mm -hmm. um, and who you guys are actually using now. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Sadie. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I recommend her to everyone. And um, and the backyard. I mean, like, if you if you look at our my listing um, on my Instagram page, um, you'll see our, um, what I call a stargazing deck. But it's essentially yeah. a playground. We put swings there, rope chairs, hammocks, and this is amazing stargazing deck. We put a, a mural there as well. You got bean bags in there, and we threw up a uh, telescope as well, so you can go stargazing. And um, all in, I think that was around fifty grand to get it all set up and ready. Yeah, wait, fifty grand for furnishing and rehab. 
furnishing so and rehab and putting up a whole new fence and a lot so of other you things. Went <laughs> 40 for purchase, 50 for rehab plus furnishings. You're all in for 90 ish. About um, almost double of what the Smokies are. Almost double. Mm-hmm. Does now what do you gross on the Smokies versus Joshua Tree? Oh, we're getting good in these uh, in these uh, numbers here. All right, um, so the Smokies. Let's see here. Um, it's very seasonal, right? Um, these two markets. I would say you know um, the Smokies is less volatile when it comes to the seasons, uh, but mm-hmm. it is peak season in in the Smokies during the summer. Okay. Um, and during the summer in Joshua Tree, it's the other way around. It's it's the off season because it's so it's so damn hot in mm-hmm. Joshua Tree. Um, you know, June, July, August are going to be your slow months. However, yeah. my August and September in Joshua Tree did better than the Smokies. Um, and so that was that was quite surprising. But I mean, like Joshua Tree is getting more and more popular, and it's getting cooler out there. So now we're hitting October. October numbers are are just amazing. So um, what Joshua Tree for October is probably going to be our best month. What do you estimate, including seasonality? What do you yeah. estimate to gross on both, though? So uh, let's see here. Um, I'm going to have to look at my numbers here, but a quick overview. Just those two properties from the start of June slash July and six months till the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, December, taking in consideration all the bookings that we already had mm-hmm. and future bookings that we will have, looking yeah. at that gross revenue, we already hit six figures within six for, months. For both of them, though? For both of them, total. Well, we, so is the revenue for each of them like pretty equal, though, then, would you say? Ish? I would say uh, Smokies is a little, a little higher, but, but again, that's because we... You know, we had June and July had uh, for the Smokies, which is the peak yeah. season, right? October through May is the peak season for Joshua Tree. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how this is going to go. But again, just, just the fact that we hit, um, I think we're going to, we're projected, I think, to hit 120,000 in six months. Okay. And we just began short-term rentals like three months ago. So, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, so taking a step back, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting and I'm curious to see, and I know there's a couple of comments or a couple of questions here on Instagram. If you have anything on Zoom too, drop it in the chat. Um, I wanna know what you guys think. First deal, long-term rental, $100,000 purchase, let's just say $25,000 in after closing costs to then cash flow. To be honest, I think, I mean, I don't know what the property is, but you cash flow at least 500 bucks a month, right? Uh, 100% passive, but now you have these two other options that could gross. I mean, the net is different, right? I, I feel like most people rule of thumb, they take off 50 to 60% off the top. Um, mm. I'm not, depending on obviously, you know, what it is, um, you know, you could, you put in, in the Smokies, you put in 50 to then gross, I'd say almost $100,000, it seems like. And then you put in 90 to Josh Street to almost potentially gross another $100,000. Which one is worth it for you? Um, 
in the comments. Just, I want to see it. Would you still go long-term just because you know that short-term is still more work and we haven't touched that part yet. Um, we had a couple questions about the vacation home loan, the 10% down. Um, so what is real quick, Vinci, what's the, what's the second home loan? Second home loan is a, also known as the vacation home loan allows um, you to put 10% down of a purchase price um, of a, of that property. And um, that's it. Yeah. I mean, you get um, favorable terms. You can still uh, get a 30 year um, mortgage. Typically when you buy, buy an investment property, uh, typically the bank or lender would want at least 20% yeah. um, down. So the opportunity to buy a property at 10% down means that you keep more cash to yourself and um, allows you to leverage that uh, home loan and, um, and cash flow pretty nicely because I feel that short-term rentals, I mean, I know we haven't really touched upon it, but short-term rentals make at least one and a half to three times and more um, than long-term rentals per month. Okay. Yeah. So before we get into the work parks, I do, I, I, I like, as I'm beginning, right, to build out our short-term rental, God, there's a lot more work. But before I dive into yeah. that, a couple more questions about the loans that we had. There's one here from Instagram. So with 10% down, you're subject to stay in the property for 14 days. Uh, do we actually plan to stay in the Smokies for 14 days per year? Wink. Um, let me answer that first and I'll get yours. I know that when I was talking to my lenders, I wanted, and I've heard it from other people that you, you, you should, and you should primarily want to use it as a second home loan. Um, and that's how you have to approach is that, Hey, I want to use this as a vacation home, but while I'm not using it, I'd also like to subsidize it as a vacation rental. Right. And then you talk to your lender in that way. And you're hundred percent transparent about that because if you try and do something fishy with the insurance policies and things Mm -hmm. like that, just, be open about it and some lenders are more flexible than others mm-hmm. um and i mean I, i'm gonna assume an answer for you that do you actually plan to stay in the smokies for 14 days a year i mean a recorded video and things like that like yes you want to be in the area whether it be checking out more vacation rentals or whatever it is exactly. um so yeah quick quick uh, that's a great question you know and um honestly i've probably spent more than 14 days in each property already um, because again short-term rentals do take a lot more work um, mm-hmm. in the beginning to get them started and set up um, and I spent a considerable amount of time in both markets already getting to know the area getting to know the the markets uh, getting to know um, the properties um, and that's something that I highly recommend when you start a short-term rental um, you'd want to live in it for some time, right? You'd want to go ahead and stay there and um, live in the house and like just use everything just so that you know how everything works in there. Because when you have guests clamoring and asking about certain things, you know, you know exactly what they're talking about, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, there is when we, when we did our first trip and we stayed on air mattresses in our Joshua Tree house, there are definitely some quirks that you don't get. Um, until you actually are in there for a few days. Um, exactly. Quick note, one last question on loans. Uh, where did you find the lender? I used uh, Andy Beagle over an NFM lending. He's a national lender. You can shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'll introduce you. Vinci, I don't know. Do you have a lender that you want to shout out? 
Yeah, I utilized lenders who were local to the markets that I wanted to invest in. So in Joshua Tree, I use a local lender there. Um, I can, you know, if you follow me and DM me on my page, um, I can go ahead and send you the contact info. Uh, same thing for the Smoky Mountains. I also utilize a local lender there. And I highly recommend that you do, unless you're like Josh here, who has an in with, um, you know, this national lender of his. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was actually nice because he was refinancing a Columbus duplex at the same time that I wanted to close on this. And so because I work with him, like if you find a national lender, what's nice about that is that like you can do deals pretty much almost anywhere That's and awesome. not have to continually resubmit documents. Total first world problems, I guess, but <laughs> God, that's, a, that's, that's what I hate the most. Uh, last question for going to workload, uh, insurance on vacation rental. Yes, you will definitely need a short-term rental insurance on that. And then also work with your lender on when and how to switch that policy with your insurance agent and your lender. Um, okay, workload. So you mentioned something earlier, Vinci. You said that yeah. your returns for a short-term rental are one and a half to three X that of a long-term mm -hmm. rental. At least. At least. At least. But mm -hmm. how much more work is a uh, short-term rental in your opinion? So in my opinion, okay. Mm -hmm. um, I self-manage, my wife and I both self-manage our own short-term rentals mm -hmm. and I would say on average because of all the different Again, technology is important here, right? It makes a huge play in all this because we've automated a lot of our systems and we utilize software, channel managers um, to do a lot of the, to handle a lot of the day-to-day -day operations, like 99% of the yeah. things that um, you would need to do in order to make this work. I spend an average, we spend an average about five to 10 minutes a day. And we both have uh, full-time W2 jobs as well. So, you know, getting to short-term rentals and utilizing these systems was necessary for us to make this work. Like we wouldn't get into this if we knew it was impossible for us to work a full-time job mm -hmm. and do this stuff. And by the way, we just had a baby who turned three weeks today. So Does, yeah. Doesn't it look so good this, for just having a newborn? Oh, sorry, just hit Instagram phone. <laughs> Uh, it's okay i'm okay. moving them all in here man <laughs> five ten minutes a day that that's once your systems got set up mm -hmm. so now just for me as perspective because this is what i take as not having fully launched yet right so for us just for context for everyone we close on the property um at the end of september and we're now going through a rehab process and furnishing our house in joshua tree um, but picking out finishes and it's a four bedroom, two bath, 2000 square feet. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, just because there's like so much more like things to like make it cute and different Instagrammable. Exactly. Yep. That process takes significantly more time than just saying, yeah. Benjamin, you know, more gray with, you know, LVT with shaker cabinets and uh, subway tile. Like you could just give me your rental normal to any contractor and they'll like they'll execute and it works and it's safe. But this is a whole nother ballpark. And that is. Exactly. 
like that's what I'm finding is is an interesting change. Um, let me let me um yeah no I mean honestly like like I said you know getting your short term mental up and running it's gonna take time right especially if you're doing it yourself if you mm -hmm. plan to manage it yourself now hiring a property management company um to to manage your short term rental it is possible right but Patricia and I my wife and I we we want to keep uh, in, and make the most returns uh, of the money that we put in. And, and again, it takes us because of all the, the automation, the tools and systems that we place and continuously improving our listing. Yeah. We spend on average five to 10 minutes a day on this. So it's definitely doable. Okay. Now, I mean, Josh, oh yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please tell me. No, I, I, uh, I listed a, um, I have a list here of like long-term rental pros and cons and short-term yeah. rental pros and cons. And I can just like fire them off if you Do want it. to. Uh, but I feel like these are probably to us the biggest, um, the biggest things between, you know, long-term versus short-term for us. Do it. What is it? Okay. Long-term, long-term pros, right? First of all, we talked about this earlier, steady, steady income potential, yep. right? Uh, your monthly rent first, first day of every month can be a huge peace of mind, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you also have less turnover because you have longer leases, less paperwork, less cleaning, less hassle, uh, less communication. Uh, regardless if you use a PM or manage it yourself, you typically have less interaction with your tenant in a long-term mm -hmm. rental than a short-term, right? Long-term rental pros, again, you don't need to furnish it. Typically tenants do that. Utilities typically paid by the tenant and no reviews necessary. <laughs> right? that's, that's probably a big one right there for long-term rental pros, okay? Yep. Now, long-term rental cons, the biggest con for us, and the only one that really matters is lower cash flow. You know, typically monthly rent for, again, long-term rental um, is significantly lower. We think, you know, two to three times at least lower, right, than a short-term rental. Um, and then another big thing with long-term rental cons is eviction. Yeah. Whereas in a short-term rental, we don't really have that because they stay for less than 30 days. Um, yeah. So those were the long-term pros and cons. So short-term rental pros and cons, short-term rental pros, higher cash flow. Cha-ching. Uh, we can leverage the vacation home loan and put that 10% mm -hmm. down. Uh, owner, owners can enjoy their property, can do that with a long-term rental typically, right? Um, your property is typically clean and maintained. And this is the fun part here for, for us is the whole creation and designing a space for traveling guests from like all over the nation, all over the world, right? So to me, this hospitality side of real estate investing speaks to my personality and it's yeah. right down my alley as well. Um, and then another, the last pro is no long-term lease, so no evictions. Um, Short-term rental cons, high turnover, right? Short-term guests, wear and tear. You're gonna get a lot more guests, a lot more damage, com people coming in and out. Um, you are under the mercy of reviews, right? Bad reviews leads to less bookings. Um, and you pay for utilities, cable, internet, and all that jazz. And then um, it requires definitely a little bit more time management than, than long-term rental. But again, this can be offset by proper automation tools, systems, channel manager, dynamic pricing tools, and so on. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... Uh that list then she texts me that list i'll make some kind of infographic 
and obviously I'll make sure that you're the author, but then I'll post it tomorrow or something. That way you guys can get a breakdown of that list because I mean, that list, I, I haven't actually seen the actuals of a short-term mental yet, but I can definitely see, you know, those things playing out. Um, let me, if you guys have any other questions on Instagram or Facebook, we have a few more now that we're, uh, when we're going deep, man, and I like it, but I know that you have a, a newborn, so I don't want to take you up too much more from your day. Um, <laughs> okay, so when we had a, you know, a pre-call, you know, we, we talked about something of who should not do a short-term mental. Mm. And so now that you are on both sides of the fence, who do you think a short-term mental is not for? Okay, so this might be like an unpopular you know, uh, opinion, right? But I do believe anyone can do short-term rentals, um, but it may not be your cup of tea. I've seen some owners who got burnt out, right? From doing this Airbnb short-term rental business. Um, mainly they get really overwhelmed by the constant guest interaction and managing it. Um, some underestimate like the time necessary to kickstart a short-term rental, okay? And get it listed. Um, and then they just don't have the time or patience to get through this. You take an investor who's been investing in long-term rentals and are used to like the set it and forget it, like while working their day job, mm-hmm. let's say, right. And then suddenly you, they pivot to short-term rentals, huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, however, I believe that technology, um, can bridge that barrier. You know, there are tools and systems out there that can literally automate 99% of this business in short-term rentals. For sure. um, again, I self-manage, my wife and I both self-manage our um, two um, Airbnb properties. Mm-hmm. And we've implemented these automation systems to a point where the operations are honestly running by itself. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would say thinking about, you know, who is it not for? Yeah. You know, I spent six years as an academic advisor, um, either at the University of Hawaii or at some private institutions. And before that, I also worked at Old Navy in high school. And I say that because I'm already anticipating a level of customer service that is never, like never that fun. Um, And you're gonna have, I'm sure, I haven't had them yet, but I'm sure that you've had them. I've just like, you have to put on your customer service voice um and you have to deal with the stupid questions over and yeah. over and over and over again mm-hmm. and if like you absolutely hate that i would yeah. say either find a partner who doesn't mind it <laughs> yep. or then you maybe just pay for a manager to handle that for you but i mean i think there are mm-hmm. workarounds around it but like that is one significant part of the business that impacts reviews like you said that is aside from you know i mean the solution is paying for it or someone to handle yeah. it but it's going to be there. And that's a huge difference of the long-term versus short-term. I mean, there's, there's also ways to, you know, um, get some of that guest communication out of your hands. Uh, something that we're actually also looking into, um, which is utilizing and hiring our own virtual assistant who could do this guest interaction for us. Right now, this is something that we can still handle and do, right? Okay. Uh, but more and more as, you know, our three-week-old is, you know, looking up at me with those big eyes and like, you know, um, and her little hands. And we're just like, hey, we, I want to spend as much time as I can with her, you know, and with my family, uh, with my wife. Um, 
And so looking into uh, virtual assistants, maybe even I know some people who utilize co-hosting where mm -hmm. you bring in someone who, let's say, doesn't have a um, property or isn't a host, but wants to get in the game and wants to learn how the short-term rental business works. Um, a lot of people, uh, quite a number of people have actually reached out to us um, offering to co-host. Um, and uh, we are considering it. So I think we'll see how that goes, but that's something that some of you who are you know, busy um, with your day-to-day -day stuff and don't wanna do this kind of thing um, can offset that by uh, these uh, very creative methods. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, so I don't want to take you away from your wife and your newborn for like, <laughs> I got like no, eight no, no, minutes no, on good, a timer. <laughs> um, okay, good. Patricia, don't kill me, you know? Um, okay. <laughs> so I got a couple of questions on Zoom here and I can answer this one. To qualify for a vacation home loan, do you need to own your own primary residence? And I'm going to say no, because I don't. I, I don't own my own primary residence. Um, so there's that. Um, you just use it as a second vacation home, so you can still rent. Um, question for you, Vinci. How do you plan on getting more STRs if your DTI is getting higher with short-term rentals? Gotcha. Um, so definitely work with your lender on this. Um, we've spoken with our own, um, and you know we, we still have, uh, because, uh, well, let's see here, this will be our first year, and we're going to have to um, make sure that it's, it's um, shown in our taxes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but we can actually utilize the income that we make from our short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. And depending on the type of loan um, and the underwriting that is utilized, uh, there's a specific time where they actually can utilize your short-term rental income, yeah. um, which could honestly help our DTI. Um, mm -hmm. So again, that's why it's important to work with a lender who um, understands the short-term rental game. Uh, and that's what we're doing. So again, feel free to DM me if you need contacts. I'm happy to share them. Yeah, I would say, you know, and it, trying to get a little more like geeky and nerdy because like this tax stuff and the, 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 like the number of stuff makes it more fun. On a long-term rental for those, you know, who are looking at long-term rentals and how that impacts your DTI, because you have an annual lease, the bank then says that, hey, this is now part of your income. So say, for example, you're renting a unit at $1,000 a month. They'll take 75% of that $1,000 and apply that to your income. Now, if your mortgage is 500 bucks a month, then kudos to you. You now have increased your income by $250 a month, which improves your DTI. For a short-term rental, what I've learned from talking to lenders is that it's delayed gratification. You'll make a lot more money, but yep. it'll take you that whole mm -hmm. at least full year cycle to get that income on your, like on your tax return for it then to positively impact. So if you want it right away, or if you need it right away, either just find a partner who can float the DTI um, or, or, or find a way to make more money or lower your a hard money lender or go all cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, that's a quick breakdown. Um, okay. Let's see here. What else do we got here? Okay, so I do want to go into, uh, I got to, if anyone has any suggestions for like a lightning round, everyone calls it a lightning round, but I don't want to like do a lightning round, but I want to try and do some quick questions to get to know him a little bit more, to get to know Vinci a little bit more. Um, and so I'm open to name suggestions, but first one is, uh, 
you know, I guess because I work in wine, what is your drink of choice? It could be an adult or even non-alcohol. All right. So uh, I'm currently drinking something called a San Pellegrino. Uh, it's from Trader Joe's. It's a sparkling blood orange flavored beverage. Yeah. Right here. Um, but for, uh, you know, we, we opened a bottle of wine recently, but we actually have a second bottle of it. Um, and no, Josh isn't paying <laughs> me for, for doing this, but check this out. This is uh, Hilltop J. Lore, a Cabernet. Um, and uh, yeah, the first one was amazing because again, my wife just gave birth, uh, but we had um, some sip sip of the, uh, the bottle um, a week ago. And it is, it is primo, All right? So take a look at that. Grab it when you, when you can get it. Talk to Josh about that. <laughs> well, thank you. See that if you guys ever want, you know, real estate information, all you know is that you'll either take Trader Joe's sparkling water or cabs. So make sure you guys all write that down. Um, okay, I got one. And by the you. way, Josh, we're going to open this when you guys um, go live on your Josh retreat, Airbnb. Dude. All right, buddy. Yes, sir. We will uh, we'll host something you for sure. Um, okay, what is the most memorable drink that you've had, whether it be a moment that you share with someone, what did you drink, and why was it memorable? Ooh, let's see. Um, that's a good one. I would say the, the day I got married, um, my wife and I uh, toasted to each other, mm -hmm. and... Um, we kind of like did a little cheers and, and it was the first time as a married couple that we, um, had our first drink. I would say that's the most memorable because was uh, we did reception? it in front of all of our, uh, it was at the, I think, yeah, it was at the reception and we did it in front of all our family and friends. Okay. I like yeah. it. And what was in the glass? Uh, definitely not J-Lore. Um, it was, uh, I think it was just champagne, man. <laughs> hey, I, for those who don't know, other than cabs, I like champagne. So, you know, if you want to send me anything, okay. that's what you can send me. Um, okay. What's your biggest real estate mistake? Uh, biggest real estate mistake? Um, I would say not doing my due diligence when it came to properties um, <clears throat> that needed flood insurance. Okay. All right. And so, um, my, this is my Chicago property, uh, my second long-term rental. Mm -hmm. Um, it was in one of those like 10 year flood zones and, uh, we got flood insurance for it. Um, but, uh, the inspection, when we were going through it, they, they didn't, uh, we didn't do our due diligence and look into what type of, um, drain they, they had the drain tile system, as well as the septic. I mean, that's yeah. septic, the, um, the pump, um, the water pump in the, in the basement. And we had a finished basement when we bought it. Um, turns out the previous owner or whoever rehabbed it, they did a, like some shoddy work. And less than six months into the property, we had this huge downpour of rain. Oh, and the property got flooded. Um, but you and, didn't have flood insurance. I, we did have flood insurance, but we, we didn't have a certain thing covered in there. Um, and I guess, I guess I think we were like kind of skipping it out 
on yeah. the type of flood insurance and um, it didn't fully cover the cost of the property. So everything that we made like cash flow wise, all gone um, to fix that finished basement up. Gotcha. I mean, that was, that was a pretty harsh one because it was like six months into it. And um, it dipped into our reserves and funds completely for that second short-term rental and, and some in our first one. So yeah, lessons learned there. Uh, definitely okay. do your due diligence, check everything, um, especially for something, a property in a flood zone. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to mess with that. You want to you get uh, as much coverage and make sure you, you buy the, the premium if you can. Okay, I'm throwing a curveball in at you. I didn't, I didn't give Vinci this, the, the question beforehand. Uh, are you, if I said, are you buying more long-term rentals, you would say? I would say not right now. Okay. Not right now. Why? Because, uh, you know, I, I just turned 30, right? Mm-hmm. My wife and I are both 30 years old. I just turned 30 um, uh, a month and a half ago. And right now we are in the wealth accumulation phase of our lives, right? Um, so, so this means that we, we want to buy more properties and more cash producing assets. Yeah. But I think short-term rentals for us is the way to go. Um, there's more cash flow. We, we get properties that can still provide great equity. Um, and again, vacation and tourism in the markets that we're looking at are just booming. And we, we don't see any slowdown in the next, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Love it. Okay. And how can people find you, Vinci? Uh, you can find me on my page uh, on Instagram is the best way to reach me. Um, you can find us at invincible underscore investments uh, on Instagram. So feel free to DM me on there and follow along on our journey. Uh, I just started that page. And I'm going to be looking to add more content. Um, do my own series of videos like this interview josh here about his own uh short-term rental and real estate journey um so yeah i want to be open and honest about our numbers and and what we're doing and learning because this is something that we we truly wish we could help um and hope to be able to help other people get into this as well um get into financial freedom financial independence through real estate investing and other ventures yeah, no, for sure. And for those who are watching that on post play, I'm linking all of his his new Instagram account down below. Help blow that up. Um, I mean, yeah, this like this documentation journey for myself. You know, I I think, and I and I give my buddy Travis that I met in Hawaii out shoutouts all the time. Every single time I do one of these episodes, because him documenting and blogging about his experience about buying units from Hawaii in Tennessee is what inspired me to get going and like know that you know, and the people that we know are in our social, like social circle, like who aren't these, you know, millionaires already yeah. investing is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I do it. And I'm so happy that eventually that you were able to share your story with us. Um, thank you everyone who tuned in live, who asked some questions. I really appreciate that. Sorry, I didn't get to all of them, uh, but I'm sure this won't be the last one with Vinci. Um, but for those who are on Instagram, uh, I will catch you guys on the next one. But Vinci, thank you so much, man. Let's get it, man. Uh, happy and uh, honored to be a part of this conversation, Josh. I love it. Well, I'll end this stream. Bye, guys. Have a good night. Um, those on Easy. Zoom, I will give you guys any last questions on Zoom. This is like a bonus content now. 
Any last questions for Vin? Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. We went deep, 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 as you can tell. Definitely went a little bit over time, but I'm really happy that I was able to get those insights from Vinci, and I hope that you found value from it. If you did find value from it, please subscribe, share it with someone else, and I hope that it helps you in your decision-making process as you think about what investment platform is best for your next move. Um, well, thank you so much. Again, if you want to follow and learn more about what we do on a daily, on a, if you want to follow and learn more about what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, you can follow us on Instagram, on TikTok, and all that good stuff down below. If you would like to be a guest or know someone who might be a good fit, please let me know. Drop them in the comments. Uh, DM me on social media. I'm always looking to connect with more investors and just be able to tell their stories. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening, watching, and we'll catch you guys on the next one.